Okay, um, we are holding by Perak Dalid, chapter 4 of Shmuel Aleph. Um, and in the last weeks we began, we had the whole story of the birth of Shmuel, miraculous birth, his mother Hannah, one of the Nevi'ahs who was barren and couldn't have children, and yet she davened, didn't stop davening, and had the bracha from Eli HaKayim, the Kayim Godel, and Shmuel Hanavi was born. Um, after a couple of years, after he was two years old, Hannah brings him and he comes to stay with Eli HaKoyin in the Mishkan, where he grows in the ways of Kedusha and in the ways of Nevuah. Um, we also heard about how Eli HaKoyin, Eli the great Tzadik, the Kohen Gadol, had two sons, Chafni and Pinchas, and they were not acting in a way that was appropriate. And in fact, Hashem um, sends messages to Eli HaKoyin that he and his family are going to be severely punished because of the fact that his sons, the Koyanim, were not acting appropriately for people of their stature. And in the last parak that we discussed last week is when Shmuel had his first nevuah, right? Shmuel was laying in the Mishkan and he heard Hashem calling to him, Shmuel, Shmuel. And three times Shmuel thought it wasn't Hashem and he went to Eli and Eli says, finally, to just uh, tell Hashem, Daber Hashem ki shomea avdecha, because you're getting nevuah, and then again Shmuel received this first nevuah, which was a harsh nevuah. It was to pass on to Eli that the punishment was going to come, and that kahuna or kahuna gedola was going to be lost from the family of Eli. And that's sort of where Paragimel finished. Um, it just it finished by saying that Shmuel had become at this point already accepted by Klal Yisrael as a navi for Hashem, and nothing that he said didn't happen. And um, the the uh, the channels of Nevoa were opened again, Shmuel being the chief Navi of the time, but there were many other Nevi'im as well. That's where Perak Gimel f- finished, and today we start with Perak Dalit. So Perak Dalit is actually uh, a difficult Perak, and that's where those negative pro- uh, prophecies and the punishment for Eli and um, and the, the Kuna is going to come forth in Perak Dalit. Um, it begins with Klal Yisrael going to battle against the Plishtim. The primary enemies of Klal Yisrael throughout this period of time were typically the Plishtim, the Philistines. And now again, they go out to battle against the Plishtim. But whereas typically at this point the Jewish people were strong, in this battle they fell to the Plishtim. And as the Pasuk says, that on the first day of battle, 4,000 Jewish soldiers fell on that first day of battle. And of course, the Jewish people are um, hurt by that and disheartened, and they decide to do something um, rash. And that is, they wanted to have more spiritual power, power of Hashem behind them, and they decided to take the Arun from the Mishkan. Right? Of course, at this time, the, Ar- the Mishkan is still in Shiloh, where it was for the majority of throughout the times of the Shaftim. Um, and the Jewish people decide to take the Arun, Hashem, to battle with them, because they felt that if they have the Oren Hashem, they'll have the divine protection, um, and with that, they'll be able to be victorious over the Plishtim. Um, but they didn't ask. They didn't ask Shmuel, and this was a decision made by the soldiers to just take the Oren and go to battle with it. And they came to the Mishkan, and who's in the Mishkan? Chafni and Pinchas. And Chafni and Pinchas, who, as we know, on the one hand, is are very criticized, but on the other hand, they were kohenim, and they did have a devotion to their kahuna, and they said, we're not letting the Orin go out to battle unless we take it, um, to guard it with our lives. And that's what happens. So Chafni and Pinchas, the children of Eli HaKoyim, 
join the battle with carrying the Arin, the Arin of Hashem. Um, interestingly, um, earlier, a couple months ago, when we began the story of Yehoshua, we talked about the first uh, battle of the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael, and that's when when they went to battle Yericho. And then Hashem said, take the Aram. Right? When they surrounded the walls of Yericho for seven days, and they surrounded it with the Aram. So the soldiers of this war were thinking back historically that the Aram helps us in battle. And interestingly, whereas typically the Aram was carried by the Levium, when they took the Aram in their war against Yericho, there it was the Koyanim who carried the Aram, and we pointed that out then as well, that that was unique, unusual, that the Koyanim carried the Aram. And here too in this battle, the Jewish people thought we're going to follow the same model. So here we have Chafni and Pinchas, who are the Koyanim, and they're carrying the Aram, and on that second day of battle, they bring the Aram to the battlefield. Right again, on the first day of battle, the Jewish people lost, 4,000 lives were lost, and in the second day of battle, they bring the Aram to the battlefield. And when they do that, so the Jewish soldiers are very, very, um, how do you say, heartened. They're very, very excited. And in fact, it says they blew a loud trua. They all uh, blew a truas with the shayfris, also reminiscent of that battle with Yericha. And the Pelishtim were very afraid. The Pasik says that the uh, Pelishtim said, um, let me read it from the Pasik. It says, Oilanu. Uh, he says, woe is to us, this wasn't yesterday. The Plishtim said, who's going to save us from the arms or, or from the might of the great God of the Jewish people? This is the God that smote that's Mitzrayim with all the Makkahs and in the Midbar. So the Plishtim themselves were also um, afraid when they saw the Oren arrive on the battlefield. And yet, the Plishtim says, but nevertheless, let's strengthen ourselves, otherwise the Jews will leave from under our um, domain. And the Plishtim doubled their efforts and fought the Jewish people, and that was a terrible day. The Jewish, the Plishtim were very victorious and really uh, trounced the Jewish armies. And in fact, on that day, the Pasuk says, um, 30,000 Yidin, 30,000 Jewish soldiers died in that war. And amongst those 30,000 soldiers were the two sons of Eli HaKoyim, who were carrying the Orin. And in fact, the Pasuk says, interestingly, the Pasuk says um, that the Orin was taken and the two sons of Eli were killed. It puts it together. And the Mepharshah Rashi says, that this is because they fought valiantly. They said that they're going to give their life to, to guard the Oren. And by doing that, it was actually a kapara for them. Because as we learned last time, that they were criticized and there were many things that they did that were inappropriate. But here at the end of their life, the last thing that they did is they died defending the Oren. And therefore, as the Gemara says, they are b'nei o'ilam haba, even though, again, there was uh, there was uh, criticism that Hashem was upset with them, with their, with their avoidah, and yet, in their death, they were able to be mechaper, atone um, for their various negative behaviors. Now, the... And then, so, so really, there was a terrible battle and the Jewish people lost. And then the Pasuk says, Pasuk goes on to say that 
Give me a moment. Vayaras ish binyamin mehamarocha. A man of Binyamin, of the tribe of Binyamin, runs forth from the battlefield and he runs all the way to Shiloh. To Shiloh, which is where the Mishkan is. Umad of Kruim, his clothing are torn. Adama al Rosho, there's dirt on his head. Now, who was this Ish Binyamin? The Torah clearly is talking about a very specific person, a man of Binyamin who runs from the battlefield and runs to Shiloh in order really to give the news to Eli Akoin, the Eli the Kohen Gadol. And the Gemara says, very fascinating, that this Ish Binyamin is a very important Ish Binyamin who we're going to learn a lot, a lot about later, and that's Shaul HaMelech. Shaul, who's going to be the first king of Klal Yisrael. Um, this is the first time we hear about him in the Navi, although not by name. And as the Medrash tells us, that during that battle, the Plishtim put a, a great effort to capture the Orin. And the one who was actually able to capture the Orin from the Plishtim was another infamous person who we're going to hear about later, and that's Golias. We know that Golias, Goliath, the one who David Malach is going to fight many years later, was the great warrior of the Plishtim, and he was the one who killed Khafni and Pinchas, and he's the one who grabbed the Orin from them. And when he grabbed the Orin from them, he opens up the Orin and takes out the Luchas. And he starts... Blasphemizing, uh, how do you say, uh, blasphemizing, starts uh, shaming the Luchas, cursing the Luchas. And it's at this point that Shaul Hamelech, who's not Shaul Hamelech yet, he's just Shaul, a Shaul soldier, runs up, grabs the Luchas out of the hands of Goliath, and runs. And leaves the battlefield and runs all the way from there to Shiloi. We're talking about, I don't know how many, uh, it says maybe 50, 60 miles that he's running, carrying the luchas, which are, luchas are slabs of stone, we have to remember. So Shaul himself was a mighty person, and here he was running with superhuman koiches, and he was carrying the luchas in his hand. And well, that... Excuse me, were these broken luchas? So it doesn't say that. I mean, you know, in the Oren, in the Oren there was two sets of luchas. There was the second, there was the second luchas, and there was the shivre luchas, the broken luchas. It doesn't indicate over here which luches we're talking about. Okay. It doesn't say. So, at least not in the Mefarshim that I saw. It says he had the luches in his hand. And as we know, in the in Aaron, the there was both the second luches complete and the first one broken one. So it doesn't say which one. At least it doesn't say in the places that I saw. So Shaul Amalek is the one who grabs the luches from uh, the hands of Goliath with this tremendous uh, heroic effort to start up with Goliath in the first place. And then he's able to run all the way to, to back to Shiloh. Now, he comes, he comes to Shiloi, and who's sitting outside of the Mishkan is Eli HaKoyin. Eli the Koyin Godel is sitting outside of the Mishkan, and he is very, very anxious, and he's waiting to hear from the news from the battle. And, you know, he knows the Oren was taken from the Shiloi, which is the first time it was ever taken from Shiloi. And he knows that his sons went to battle, and he knows, he knows everything. Eli is a Tzadik, Eli is a Koyin Godel, and he also knows that there's a curse. He also knows that he was told the prophecy that everything is um, is going to fall apart very quickly. And he's waiting outside, and Eli at this point is 98 years old. He's a very elderly Kohen Gadol. He's been the Kohen Gadol and the Shefit for 40 years. And he's sitting outside and he's waiting to hear from the war. And this show, says, or the Ish Bin Yaman, as the Pasik says, comes... And Eli asks him, "What's you know, what's uh, what's what's the news from the war?" 
And Eli hears crying, Eli hears tsa'aka. And the person tells Eli, he says, I'm coming from the battlefield. Um, I, I escaped from the battlefield today. And Eli says, so my son, so what happened? And he tells him, he says, the Yidin had to run for the plishtim. The um, many, many soldiers have fallen. Your two sons have been killed. And the Orin of Hashem has been taken. And the Pasuk says that Eli, obviously every part of this news was terrible for him. The loss of the loss of the battle and the loss of Klal Yisrael and the loss of his sons. And then when he finished with the Orin, when the messenger mentioned the Orin of Hashem, that that was also taken, Eli falls backward, and it says he broke his neck, and he died. He died on the spot. Eli was uh, 98 years old. He was very old. He was very weak. And the shock of all hearing all of this, um, Eli died on that day, on the same day that his two sons died, on the same day that the Jews lost the battle, on the same day that the Orin was taken from Klal Yisrael by the Plishtim. Um, and the bad news doesn't end. It says that in that same day, so one of the, the wife of Pinchas, of one of the sons of Eli, in other words, Eli's daughter-in-law, Pinchas's wife, was that day she was due, she was due to have a child. And when she heard the terrible news, she went into labor, had a child, and died in childbirth. And as she was dying, this is very reminiscent of the story of Rachel, as she was dying, so the, the midwife, whoever was there, said, you have, you're having a son. And she said, and she called the son with the name e Kavid, loss of Kavid, the loss of the honor of Klal Yisrael and the loss of Hashem. Vatimah, she said, her last words were, Gola Kavid mi Yisrael, the Kavid, the glory was taken from Klal Yisrael, Kinilkach Arein Ho'alikim, because the Arein of Hashem was taken. It's, 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 it's fascinating to note what type of people we're talking about here, that all these, these she just lost her husband, and Eli just lost his children, but the thing that seems to be most devastating to everyone, more than anything, is that the Orin of Hashem was taken. That was the center of Kedusha, the center of Klal Yisrael was the, was the Mishkan, and the center of the Mishkan is the Orin, and the Orin was never touched in hundreds of years. There was never a situation where the Aaron was touched by anyone else aside from the Kohen Gadol in the Mishkan. And at this point, the Aaron was taken, was seen as the greatest calamity possible. So that is when the, the home, or the, really the, the entire house of Eli perished in one day. You have Eli and his two sons, and the wife of one of his sons. Um, there's going to be a continuation. Again, that child was born on that day, E-Covid. But this was the key, and this was the fulfillment of that Nevuah on this terrible day for Klal Yisrael. And that's really the end of Perig Dalit of chapter 4. I just want to add one more point, And that is, um, when the Orin came to the battlefield, when it was brought to the battlefield, so we said before that the, uh, that the Jews were, were excited, and even the Plishtim were afraid. And the words of the Plishtim were, and I mentioned this earlier, they says, who's going to save us from the hands of Elohim Adirim, the great mighty God, Hamakim es Mitzrayim bechol maka, that smote Mitzrayim with every maka, with every plague. And the Midrashim says something interesting, that amongst the Pelishtim alone, there was two camps, there was two groups. There were the believers and the non-believers. The believers amongst the Pelishtim said, well, who can save us from Hashem? He's, he, if Hashem is on the battlefield, we're all lost. 
The non-believer said, eh, don't worry about it. Hashem used up his makas on Mitzrayim. You know, Hashem, and that was the second part of the Pasuk. The first part is mi asilenu, who's going to save us from the hand of Hashem? The others say, um, no, hamakim es Mitzrayim b'chol maka, Hashem already used up his makos, so we don't have what to what to fear, what to be fearful from. And and when when that was said, Hashem responds and says that you'll see to those pelishtim who are non-believers what kind of makos I'm going to create for you, as we'll see in the continuation in the next parak of what's going to happen now with the pelishtim. But that's just an interesting medrash that tells about the dialogue, so to speak, amongst the pelishtim and what Hashem was responding to them. Um, when some of them didn't believe in the Koach Hashem. Okay. Anyway, that is the end of chapter of Perek Dal. Let's move on to Perek Hay. So, now the Aran is by the Plishtim. So the Plishtim are very excited about this. They never dreamt. I mean, here we have the first time that the Aran of Hashem, of the center of the Mishkan, was actually captured. You, you realize, throughout the book of Sheftim, there were many battles, and there were many times that the Jewish people were under the dominion of others, but never was the Mishkan touched. Never was the Mishkan Shiloh touched. Never was the Aron touched. This is the first time. So they first bring the Aron to Ashdod. Um, it's not clear to me if Ashdod of the Book of Navi is the same Ashdod that there is today in Israel. I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe not. Either way, but here they, uh, they bring it to Ashdod. And they right away see it as a victory of their Avodah Zarah, of their idol, over Klal Yisrael and over Hashem. And therefore they bring the Aron to their house of idol worship. And that was called Beis Dagon. That was, their name of Avodah Zarah was Dagon, and it was in the form of a fish. The word Dagon is a dug, which is a fish, and it was in the form of a fish, and it had a face, and it had arms and legs. A big Avodah Zarah in the center of their house of worship. So they put the Aron in front of their Avodah in front of their idol, as if to say that their idol has been victorious over Hashem, and over their, Hashem as represented by his Aron. And the Pasuk says that the next day, they, uh, and they, you know, they celebrated and so on, they went back to their homes, and the next day they came to their house of Avodah and the Avodah the whole idol of Dagon was on the floor in front of the Aron, as if it was bowing to the Aron. And of course, they were very shaken by that. And they fixed it up, and they straightened it up, and again they celebrated, and they went home by night to sleep. And the next morning, they came back, and not just had the idol fallen, but now its head was was uh, severed, and its arms and legs were cut off. The idol was totally destroyed in front of the art. And at this point, it's at this point that they start becoming very nervous and very afraid when they see that, no, it wasn't, uh, their idol wasn't victorious over the art over the at all. And at this point, Hashem starts um, uh, affecting or plaguing the Ashdodim, the Plishtim from Ashdod, with all types of very, very difficult plagues. It says that they were they were plagued with Tchorim. Tchorim is, I guess, the best translation in English I found is very, very terrible hemorrhoids, and there was blood coming from their bodies in all different places. And mice, there's a tremendous plague of mice that attacked them from all sides. The ten, tens or hundreds of thousands of mice attacked them, so they were internally attacked and externally attacked, and they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the terrible pain that they were being afflicted by, plus their Avodah was being destroyed. And therefore they decided to send it to a different city. And they send it to the city of Gas. Gas, which is another city of the Plishtim. 
Um, and exactly the same thing happened in Gas. As soon as the Arn arrives in Gas, everyone is there is afflicted with so with uh, all different types of pains and all different type of uh, again internally internal body, bodily pains and externally from animals and mice that plague them. So from Gas they sent it to a third place which was called Ekron. And basically, the Arun was making its rounds from city to city amongst the Plishtim. There was five main cities amongst the Plishtim. Um, and the Arun was sent from one, and then the people were plagued, and they couldn't handle it. They sent it to the other, and they were plagued, and they could They sent it to the third. Um, and this goes on, the Pasuk says, for seven months. Seven months that the Plishtim cannot deal with the Arun of Hashem. Again, in every place, the first thing he did was it affected Avodah which interestingly is a way of Hashem, as we see all the way back from Mitzrayim, right? When we have Mitzrayim, the first plague was with the Nilus, because the Nilus was the deity of Mitzrayim. So when Hashem battles a nation, he first battles their their god, so their their presumed god, so that they should see that their that, that those gods don't have power, and then he plagued the people. And this goes on from again for 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 seven months as it's going from one place to another place. Um, and that, and and they're they're just at a loss of what to do, and that really is the entirety of Perikay chapter five, which discusses the different plagues that came upon the Pelishtim, and how they sent it from place to place, and how they were at a total loss of how to do it. There's there's many people dying. It was just a terrible. They, they were in the in the worst of situations, and that's the entire that's the end of Perikay. Let's again let's try to move forward into Perik Vav. So what was so what happens next? So, Perik Vav begins and says that the Aaron spent in this day Plishtim in the different uh, uh, areas or fields of the Plishtim seven entire months. Finally, the Plishtim get their acts together and they call their Kohanim, their priests, the Kosmim, to their sorcerers and they say, what do we do? Ma nasel Aaron Hashem hodiyunu. Tell us, how do, we, how do we take care of this problem? Wherever it is, it's making terrible problems. So, the uh, priests of Dogon and the sorcerers say the following. They say, we got to send it back to the Jewish people. There's no question about that. Um, but it's not enough to just send it back. We have to appease the Jewish God. Obviously, he's very, very angry with us. Um, and therefore, we have to give some type of a gift to them, to the Jewish people and to their God, in order that this should, um, that, our, that we should be uh, forgiven. And that these plagues should stop plaguing us. And therefore, they tell them to do the following. They say, give, we have to make a certain gold, you know, gold. And what they do is, because they were plagued primarily with uh, the mice and plus different types of um, uh, shrotsim. How do you say shrotsim? is uh, not insects. Different types of, um, uh, they look like little uh, ants and worms and so on. And insects. insects, and it felt also like the worms were coming out of their bodies. So basically, what they did was they made golden, um, golden figures of mice and of insects. This was their way of somehow being that they're being punished with these types of ailments. So by giving gold in the form of these uh, these types of um, creatures, perhaps that's how they felt would be their um, their atonement. So they, they advise, so again, the sorcerers and the, the priests advise them to make these forms of gold and put them on a carriage and get um, cows and said cows that never uh, carry, you know, fresh, you know, cows that never did any work 
and send them to the Jewish people. Together with the Aron, obviously. Put the Aron in the carriage and put all the golden trinkets and golden figures that you make in the carriage and send the carriage with the cows, send them to the Jewish people. But they still, with all the plagues and with everything, they still were skeptics. And they said, let's make sure that this is really the God of the Jewish people that's causing all these plagues. So let's do something, uh, sort of like a trial. And the trial that they suggested was a very interesting one. They said, put everything into the carriage. You know, put the iron into the carriage and put the trinkets and the gold figures into the carriage. And don't, and then just let those cows go wherever they want and see if they will go towards the Jewish people. The cities, the, the central city where the Jews then were was Beit Shemesh. That's where most Jews were. Let's see if it goes towards Beit Shemesh. And they, they took one more step. They said, these cows have little calves, little baby calves. Hold back the calves. Now, naturally, no mother, even an, of an, an animal, a, a cow, will not walk away from their calves. So the sorcerer says, first of all, don't in any way direct the, ca- the cows to walk towards the Kal Yisrael. And on top of that, hold back their calves and see. So if nature is will uh, you know will reign, so they're going to stay here, and then you'll know that this is not God, this is not the Jewish people, this is just it happens to be that we have plagues the last couple of months. But if nevertheless the cows will walk towards the Jewish people, then we'll know that indeed um, it was a plague from Hashem, and that's exactly what happened. They do all this, and as the pasuk says, um, after the uh, and the pasuk goes through in detail how they made everything, and they made five of every figure because there was five cities of the plishtim, and they put the aron of Hashem in the in the wagon together with the box of all the figures, and then the pasuk says, "Vayisharna haparos baderach." The paros, the cows, went directly straight toward Beis Shemesh. They said they never went right, they never went left, they went directly towards Beis Shemesh. And they traveled for a number of miles, however far it was. And they came, the cows came to Beis Shemesh, and their people, it was a regular day, and people were in the fields, and they were um, cutting wheat and whatever, grains, whatever it was. And they pick, they raise their eyes, the Jewish people, and they see the Aaron is coming. They see the Aaron is coming on those wagons, and they were very excited. And the wagons came up to a home of a person, his name was Yehoshua. Doesn't say, you know, who, 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 you know, what was special about this Yeshua, but he had a home there, and it came right to his field and stopped right by a great stone that was in the field of this. The pastor calls him Yehoshua Beis Hashimshi, Yeshua, the man of Beis Shemesh, and it stopped by that stone. And the people understood that there's a symbol here. They're stopping by the stone. They immediately took apart the um, the wagon. They immediately took apart the wagon and they um, built a fire with the wood of the wagon and brought the cows as karbonos for Hashem, as a thanks and a praise to Hashem for sending back this, the Aaron. Now, uh, to bring a carbon, normally we can't bring a carbon outside of the Beis HaMikdash, but that is once the Beis HaMikdash was already established in Yerushalayim. Um, before the Beis HaMikdash, when it was still a Mishkan, so then there was the concept of a Bama, which is where a person could just bring up a carbon, certain types of carbonus, at least in their backyard. And that's what they did at that time. They brought up those cows as a carbon to Hashem. 
But this story, too, ends with somewhat of a negative taste. And that is that on the one hand, so the Aaron came back, and in this miraculous way, where it just travels back with these cows that bring it back. But it says that Hashem then became angry with the people of Beis Shemesh. And in fact, there was a plague. And many people died in Beis Shemesh. And it's not clear from the Psukim why. What went wrong over here? The Aaron came back, and the people were happy, um, and they brought a carbon to Hashem. So what caused the plague that took over then in Beis Shemesh? In fact, the Pasuk says that 70 people died, and then it says 50,000 people died. And it's very unclear what that means, 70, 70 people or 50,000, and Rashi brings Mepharshim. Well, one Pirush is, it was 70 people, but each was a great person. It wasn't just 70 plain people, it was 70 people, and each one had a value, like a thousand, like 50,000 people. But whatever amount it was, there was a plague here. So the Gemara discusses it, and says, what was the reason for the plague? And according to all um, reasons, the Gemara gives a number of reasons, which I'll mention in a moment, but all of them are about that they didn't have the proper covid for the Aran Hashem. We know the Aran Hashem was the center point of the Mishkan, and it was something that nobody was ever allowed to see, and nobody was ever allowed to touch, and it was only on Yom Kippur that they would go into the to the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And here you have this very unusual one-time-in-history story, and the Aran is just in the field. So the Gemara says the following. One opinion is that the people they were they were doing their their uh, harvest with their grains and so on. They saw the urn, they bowed, and then they continued with the harvest. In other words, some people went and brought the carbon, and everyone just continued about their work. And that was seen as a tremendous bizoyin, a tremendous uh, lack of honor of COVID. The urn is here; you don't continue the work the workday. So that's one opinion of the Gemara. The other opinion is that there were people who actually spoke insolently at that point against the Aaron. Yidin. And they said the following. They said, oh, before the they said, who got you so angry that you were taken away from us? And who appeased you that you came back? Like, like what happened? Like, just seven months ago, there was this great war, and, and Klai Yisrael are dying, and the Aaron was taken from us. What did we do wrong? Why was it taken from us? And now it comes back, what did we do to get it back? Who appeased you? Who did shuva? So there was a level of, according to this answer, there was outright insolence and tremendous chutzpah when the Aaron was brought back to them. Um, Rashi over here, Rashi says that it's something else, that it says that they opened up the Aaron. They opened it up to see what's inside and what, and that was something that was totally um, usr. You can't open up the Aaron. Um, the Aaron is meant to be in the base of Mikdash, and maybe the Kohen Gadol could look at it, but just in the field to open up the Aaron to check out its contents, all of this was um, was uh, strictly forbidden. But So these are different reasons that the Gemara and Rashi give, but either way, it's clear that there was a lack of respect for the Aaron and the great Ness that surrounded the Aaron coming back, which resulted in this... Um, in, a, in, a, in a plague. And many people in Beis Shemesh died at that time. To the extent... Yes? Rabbi Silverberg? Yes. Um, so you wonder, why didn't they just bring it back to the Mishkan? Was it, you know, like, they know how rolling special it is. 
Right. Does it talk about that at all? So, see, well, see, this happened right away. The Oren came, and immediately they went about doing what they did, and immediately the plague was visited on them. So they became deathly afraid of the Oren. As we'll see in a moment, they said, uh, um, let me read it from inside, the men of Beishemesh said, Who can stand before Hashem? Who can take it from us? And they actually sent messengers to another city called Kiryas Yorim to say, and they said that the Plishtim brought the Oren to us. We're not worthy of, of receiving it. Please take it back to you. Um, so they sent the Oren to a different city. Now, exactly, you're, you're asking, well, why didn't they send it to the Mishkan? And it's a good question. I don't know the answer, but it, I think it's important to note that the Mishkan at this moment is in a great state of disarray. The Kohen Gadol died. His two sons died. The Mishkan right now is a little bit no man's land. Now, it's not clear exactly out of where Shmuel was operating at this time. He's not. He doesn't seem to be part of this part of the story. Uh, we'll see. He's going to come up shortly. But at this point, the Aaron came back. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't treat it correctly. They were punished. And they send it off to a different city. And as we're going to learn in the next parak, in the other city it was um, treated appropriately and it brought bracha to that city. And then they worked on bringing it back to its proper place, as we'll see when we continue in session. But Rabbi Solovitz, yes. sorry, a question. Sure. Um, if you couldn't open up the Aaron Kodesh, um, the Aaron, um, then how did Shaul grab the Luchos? I mean, what happened there if it was inside the Aaron? No, no, no. Shaul grabbed the Luchos out of the hands of Goliath. Goliath, the, oh. Goliath, the Russia, he shamed the Aaron, and he took out the Luchos, and he held the Luchos up high, and he was, as we said, blasphemy. He was cursing the, the Luchos. At that oh, point, okay. Shaul jumps up and grabs it out of Goliath's hands and runs. Got it. Thank so Shaul, to the contrary, Shaul did something, a valiant act, to, for to defend the covet of the luchas, to grab it back. Now, now, and this, there's an interesting open-ended question that was asked before also about the broken luchas versus the complete luchas, because it's not clear if this aron that now was returned was it an empty aron, or was there still something in it? And that has to do with the two sets of luchas. It doesn't say the pasuk just talks about the aron being brought back. It doesn't describe if indeed the luchas were inside, and if it was one set of luchas or the other set of luchas, it doesn't say in the Pasuk, and it doesn't say in the basic Mepharshim that I, that I looked at. But it was definitely the Aran. The, the, the main discussion here is about the Aran itself. It doesn't talk about the luchas, and according to the Medrash we discussed earlier, those luchas were brought back, and, and they're safekeeping, whether they're in the Mishkan or they're by Shmuel, again, but they're not, they're not part of the continuation of the story here. Now, but before we go to the next parak, and actually I don't think we can go to the next parak tonight, I want to discuss with you a fascinating medrash on this um, on this story. And the medrash is about the cows that walked or that uh, that that uh, pulled the wagon of the Aron back to the Jewish people. So I read earlier the words of the pasuk which says, you know, as we said, that they just put the Aaron into the wagon together with the figures, and they see what's going to happen. And the words of the Pasuk are, Vayisharna haparos baderach. What does Vayisharna mean? So on the most basic pshat level, 
Vayisharna is that they went straight from the word Yashar. That the as soon as they you know they were loaded up, they didn't turn around, they didn't go right, they didn't go left, they didn't look at their own calves, and they walked to Beis Shemesh. However, it's a very unusual expression. Um, more commonly, you would say Vaholchu uh, Yashar or you know Vayelchu Yashar. Vayisharna. If you just think about the word Vayisharna, it sounds like Shira. They say they sung. And Chazal say that that's exactly what happened. That as soon as the Aron was placed into those wagons and the the cows started walking, they started singing Shira to Hashem. In fact, in the Gemara, there's a number of opinions which Shira they sang, which Shira from the Torah emanated from the mouths of those paris, of those cows, as they were bringing the Aron back from the Plishtim to Klal Yisrael. And there's a number of opinions, and one of the very interesting opinions that we actually discussed a long time ago, um, those who've been around for a couple of years, when we did, when we went through the Siddur, and we talked about the davenings, so the Medrash says, and this is brought in the, in the Sefer Eitzer HaTfilis, that they sang Hodu, the Hodu that we say at the beginning of Shachris, Hodu Lashem Kiru which is really Psukim that are taken out of Divrei Hayomim, which is the book of Chronicles, I think it's translated in English by David HaMelech, that Shira of Hodu came forth from the mouths of the cows when they were bringing the Aron back to Klal Yisro. In fact, David HaMelech instituted, um, later San Shloime, that Every morning, when the when the morning carbon was brought in the Beis Hamikdash, Mishkan, and then Beis Hamikdash, they would say the Hodu, the first half of Hodu that we start our Shachris with, and in the evening carbon they would say the second half of Hodu, and that's the reason why we start Shachris with Hodu. We start Shachris with Hodu every day because that was said when they brought the carbon Shal Shachar, the 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 morning carbon in the Beis Hamikdash. So according to this Medrash. The reason why David HaMelech instituted that every day when they brought the Karbanis in the morning, they would start off with the Hoidu was because the Hoidu was the miraculous song that was sung by those cows as they were bringing the Aron back to Klal Yisrael. So when they said it in the Beis HaMikdash, they said it facing the Kodesh HaKadoshim, where of course the Aron was. Now that's an amazing story. It's an amazing concept, and that's, the Gemara says that that's what the, that's why the pasuk is written so unusually vayisharna hapores that the pores sang shira when they were bringing the Aaron back to Klal Yisrael. So there are commentaries. This is one of the great uh, one of the early commentaries and Gemara is known by the name of his. Uh, acronym, like many, like Rambam and Ramban, they're all acronyms. So one of them is the Ritva. When one learns uh, Talmud in depth, you have the, the Peter's explanation of the Ritva. He was a tzaddik uh, commentator who lived some uh, 800 years ago, 900 years ago. So the Ritva asks an interesting question. He says, that's a pretty amazing miracle that cows are singing. Now, if such great miracles, why aren't we told about that anywhere? <laughs> and in fact... And why is it just like alluded to in a Pasuk? And not just that. He says, in the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos, it talks about the things that were created 
Erev Shabbos Bein Hashmoshos, the things that were created right in that time when Shabbos is beginning. And basically, it's all of the great miracles that are going to transpire. The great miraculous things that Hashem is going to create, He created in that interesting time, right as Shabbos was beginning, at the end of the six days of creation. So the Ritva asks the question, why isn't this mentioned there also? No, there's nothing more supernatural than a cow singing Shira to Hashem. And if that's something that happened physically, why isn't that mentioned in the Mishnah when it talks about the things that Hashem, the miracles that Hashem created in the beginning of Shabbos? And he gives an interesting answer. He says that that's already included in another similar miracle. When do we have another similar miracle that the Torah tells us about? Is when the donkey of the donkey of Bilam. So the concept of an animal talking at Hashem's behest is something that the Torah tells us about, and that is also one of the ten things that Hashem created as Shabbos came in. It says is piha asain, the mouth of that donkey that spoke. Says the Ritva, once Hashem already once that's mentioned in the Mishnah, that already includes the other similar miracle that happened many years later when these cows sung, bringing the Arum back to Klal Yisrael. That's his answer to the question. However, I want to share with you a fascinating answer that I saw from the Chidah. You might notice that in these classes I, I use the Chidah, Reb Chaim Yosef David Azulai, a great tzaddik who lived some 300 years ago, a great Mekubal. And he writes a different answer. He brings the question, and he gives a different answer. He says... When the Aron is on a cow, it's not even a nace that the cow sings. When the Aron is there, it's the Gilui of Hashem himself. When Hashem is Nisgala, when Hashem is revealed anywhere, so everything just becomes totally nullified in the presence of Hashem, and the supernatural becomes normal. Then it's not a chidush, it's not unusual. He says, we, we get all excited about miracles because we live in a world of, of concealment because we don't see Hashem, because we don't see godliness, so when we see a miracle, it's like, oh wow. But when the Aron is there, the miraculous is, is common. Just like in the Beis HaMikdash, as the Mishnah says, Asara Nisim, there was ten miracles that they saw every day in the Beis HaMikdash. Why? Because the Aron was there. When the Aron was there, you have the Gilu of the Shechina, you have the revelation of the Shechina, then it's not miraculous, it's automatic that everything expresses its, the praises of Hashem. And Hasidus takes this one step further. And says that really everything is a servant of Hashem. And really everything sings the praises of Hashem. The thing is, normally it's concealed, right? But ultimately, everything is sourced. Every physical thing is sourced in higher realms and higher places. Where, are, where do cows come from? In other words, what's the spiritual source? What's the first spiritual place we find cows? So we go to the, the Pnei Shor Merkava. When, when the Navi Yecheskel talks about the divine chariot, he talks about that there's the face of the ox that's part of the Merkava, part of the divine chariot carrying the Kisei HaKavod. So it's written in Hasidus that all animals down here are sourced and rooted in the shore of the Merkava, in that ox that carries the divine chariot. So therefore, when the Aron was placed upon the wagon that was led by these cows. So in within these cows, it was immediately revealed their source. And their source is the Shor Sheba Merkava. 
So just like the shore, just like that axe in the divine chariot carries the divine chariot and brings it and uplifts it by praising it, so too they carried the Aram. They became the vehicle of their source above. And ultimately, as Hasidus explains, everything in this world is really merely a vehicle for its source above. It's just that nowadays we don't see it. Typically we don't see it because that's the way Hashem created the world where though everything is rooted in Kedusha and everything is sourced in Kedusha, but we don't see how it's rooted and sourced into it. Our, our avoda ultimately will bring that revelation. But here in this story, when the Aron, the center of Kedusha in the world, the highest, holiest place of Kedusha, the place where Hashem is revealed, is brought and placed onto those cows immediately. Those cows were in, totally uplifted and inspired so that their root revealed itself in them. So just as their, the Sharsheb and Merkava, those oxen in the Merkava, carry the divine chariot and sing Shira to Hashem, so too its derivative down here, the physical cow, became the one who carries the Aron and sings the Shira of Hashem, which becomes the Hodel Hashem Kirovishmo, which becomes the beginning of our davening every day. So that we start our davening with this tremendous hodul Hashem, this praise to Hashem, which really signifies the ability of even the animal um, feeling and expressing what its root is. And the root of everything is that bittel, that, that, that hodah, that submission and that praising of Hashem, just as they did when the Aron was placed upon them. And that's how the Chida and then Chasidus sees this tremendous nace that the Medrash tells us about, that we read, that we read about here in this story of the Aaron coming back to Klal Yisrael. Um, okay, I think I'm going to finish 